Hello, hello, hello. It's Friday once again. This is Vampbox TV, that rare beast that offers new commentary on gender, race and other community concerns in the UK and abroad. Today, I'm joined by Reshma. How are you doing, Reshma? Greetings. I'm very well, thank you. How are you, John? Um, not bad, not bad. We have um, a complex subject that I've seen quite a lot of content for which favours um, our friends across the seas in America, but there are seldom opportunities for um, people to talk about um, people of or women of colour and how they may be sidelined in conversations about femininity and misogyny. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Um, in the UK context, I suppose, and a little bit abroad. Um, I'll hand it over to you. Okay, brilliant, thank you very much. Yes, so I'd like, as we usually do, to sort of look at terminology, look at language and how it impacts um, understanding, and also in this case, possibly behavior. So um, when I think firstly of, of, um, of feminist culture, um, I think of uh, radical feminism. I think of people um, sort of throwing around terms like misogyny without having maybe really waded through the, all the nuances that could possibly be, be attached to it uh, globally. And I, I always come back to that, that we have to really think globally now. We, we, I mean, as much as we have the small pockets, the small communities that we live within, which are very important. The people around you are very important, of course. But if we don't really start to involve every possible person that exists in the dialogue, at least invite them, warmly invite them to be a part of it, I don't think we'll ever reach a greater understanding than, than we already have and the histories have already long recorded over and over. So um, in a bit to sort of not have that you know have history repeating itself and have ourselves regurgitating wouldn't it be wonderful to sort of start to move beyond beyond uh, what's been done and see where we can go from there and I think language is the first thing that needs to be looked at what do you think about that yeah sure let's be specific what um, aspects of language do you think that we have to adhere to and what ones do you think we have to be wary of if not dump gosh so direct, <laughs> which is good. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right. The first thing I'd love to dump is feminism. <laughs> I'd like to dump that. Yes, I would. Um, because I don't know what it means. <laughs> what do you think it means? Well, if we're going to be um, traditionalist, feminism would be a term that we use to have a particular uh, point of view that is through the lens of someone who is gendered as female and see how their gender has been, um, I use that word again, sidelined or not treated with the same parity um, within a structure, which is often um, more often than not patriarchal rather than matriarchal. So that would be the traditionalist value. Obviously, people have used the term feminism in different ways um, across uh, a long amount of time, which obviously permeates different um, viewpoints that touch upon intersectionality, um, queer theory and whatnot. So feminism can be a problematic word, but let's hear more about why you want to dump it. Okay, 
Uh, hold on, sorry. Um, it can be a problematic word because of queer theory, did you say? Um, because people will come to that word with different ideas about themselves and what feminism means to them, not necessarily what feminism means to someone else. Yeah. So feminism to you um, will be something, um, well, you're, you're saying it's something you want to dump, but technically for people who are of colour or someone who is black, feminism is different to them than it would be to someone who is white. Um, there's the whole famous... Twitter battle between Taylor Swift and Nicki Minaj being a very populist example of how two different versions of um, understanding the female experience um, can clash. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, thank you. Exactly that. Yes. So I didn't know about that event, but that's the exact sort of event that happens on a daily basis for me out there in the world. Um, only because, no, okay, scratch that. I have no idea what they said to each other. I'm making a lot of assumptions, but I can imagine. Do you think I'm right in <laughs> what I'm imagining? Um, well, yeah, I, I guess so, because it would be very easy to dovetail into what they're all about. Um, but essentially, um, if, if we can clarify, you find the word feminism to be something that you don't understand, bearing in mind how um, my understanding of it from the traditionalist sense has been... Um, uh, highlighted and how ultimately there are ways of actually picking apart that word because of different people bringing to that word different experiences. What do you think about the word feminism now um, than before? Now as in in the last five minutes? Well, I guess, yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I mean, I completely agree with you and everything you've said. Um, and that's probably, you've, you've articulated it very well. Um, but it's almost identical to my thinking, which is very weird because we very rarely agree. So yay. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, nothing's changed. I still feel the same, that there's too many variations of feminism for it to be a word that's useful anymore. Oh. I think that yeah, there was a context once upon a time, which would have been for me at the point possibly of the suffragettes, beyond that and including the 60s and the 70s, I already think it, it was useless. The term was rendered useless um, in my opinion. And um, so let's say if one was to look at um, women's pushback in Abrahamic religions, for example, um, there, have, there could have been, um, it could have been very easy to call that those feminist movements also. But again, I wouldn't. So I quite like the fact that we have a, a far longer history of not um, calling it feminism when women um, contribute to the narrative or um, are invited into the narrative or even better, are just simply part of the narrative because they exist um, without having to, to sort of... Um, create a a false narrative of some sort of revolution you know just because there's a change in culture at one point and then there's a slight paradigm shift at another point and so on and so forth do you know what i mean um so you're saying that we shouldn't cite that these changes happen using a word exactly yes but They're if we don't things. cite them then isn't there if we don't cite them isn't there a danger that they can be given less prominence and therefore their importance and um their their offering to our understanding of society is going to be diminished 
Okay, so giving them the prominence that we have been given them, where has that actually got the feminist movement? Well, we're talking about it. That's one thing. I mean, essentially, people will be a lot more, um, to use that word, uh, mindful about their actions, their interactions, we're hoping. And still, you have a lot of idiots that don't. And still, you have a lot of, um, to be brutally honest, murders that occur because of that disrespect towards women. I'm not saying that the word can solve problems, but without having the word, it does take away that emphasis. It, it renders their cause a little bit less visible for those who need to see it and change their behavior. Yes. Okay, so I think that when we have labels to, to create um, an understanding of a specific type of thing, it immediately becomes boxed. So similarly to um, um, any struggles, any other struggles within humanity, let's say um, racism also, at the moment you start to label specific types of racism or specific types of so-called anti-racism, you're creating again these um, number one, um, false dichotomies and number two, binary thinking. And if we're really to move beyond them to understand where they've come from, why they exist and that timeline of events, I think we need to look at humanity as a whole or, or societal structure as a whole, even if we're contextualizing it um, for that particular discussion. Is, did I answer your question? So you're vouching that essentially the problem is the binary thinking model and how that affects language, affects the reality that we work within to make it better, yes? Yes. So if you're forced to be a racist or an anti-racist and you choose one, you're most likely going to miss all the shades in between. Pardon the pun. <laughs> because I think it would be better to sort of look at humanity as a whole and why injustices occur in particular times when they have occurred as opposed to looking at it as, a, as an issue that has always existed because it now has this name. Because every time you have something that could be deemed racist happen anywhere in the world at any time in history, it's not always going to, it's very rarely going to be of a similar narrative, but we're going to always be able to now say, oh, that was a racist thing. And if anyone disagrees, they are going to be racist because they disagree, it's a racist thing. So you're immediately able to, to bully people's thinking, you know? And I think that, that is, that's a form of control. And I think um, language being used as, you know, as a weapon, which we've discussed before, is, is one of the things I'm trying to avoid here. So bringing it back to feminism now also. Um, so if we look at every human being falling into some sort of, of um, gender, right? So currently now, it's, um, I think it's easier to say I'm gender fluid because of what's happened um, in feminism over the last few decades. But if somebody was gender fluid before that, did they need a term? Was it necessary? And I don't think they did. And I think it's feminism that paved the way to things that have now led actually to things like 
um, um, homophobia and transphobia. That's what I truly think because we've always had homosexuals. We've always had trans people from the beginning of time. So it's, it's only this language that has now created the phobias. In, in, that's what I think. I think that bearing in mind what you've said, um, and I want to get this right, if the phobias have become more of a problem because of, say, identity politics, then maybe there's a way of discussing that. But the phobias were there before that. And to make sure that these phobias didn't have power, um, you'd have to signal them out and give them um, some kind of an acknowledgement, which bear with me, if you don't give that acknowledgement, then they can pass by insidiously. I mean, there's that whole kind of, you know, I'm a bit of a pop culture kid, how um, if you've got like, say, uh, prison rape jokes amongst men in the early 2000 comedies, if not earlier, being something that was normalized. And after a while, people thought, wait a minute, this is kind of messed up. We're basically using this form of abuse to, to control um, uh, the attitudes and, uh, and conversations between um, men in this particular uh, area. I mean, that's insidious if you, if you give it a name at least then we know what it is it can not be something that ultimately you know has a certain control over us without us being able to say hey this is what's happening to me you know can you do something about it can there be legislation you know when it comes to going back to feminism when it comes to how um uh, abusers are treated and whatnot mm. Okay. I don't, I'm not sure I understand the, what you said about the prison rape jokes being normal, normalized. Can you, I'm really sorry to ask you, but can you sort of just go through that again? That's fine. Like it would often be like the earliest example would probably be before the 2000s. Do you remember Police Academy? Um, and this isn't necessarily a prison rape joke, but it, it leads on from that kind of comedy. But often the, um, the, the guys that were basically following the protagonists uh, that are in this police academy will be trying to avoid a bar called the Blue Oyster Bar. And every now and again, by accident, they run in there and then this kind of like cheesy kind of effeminate jazz music will play, suggesting they've gone into a gay bar. So, oh no, they're in danger, as if the gays are out to get them. That transmutated across time in other comedies where if um, I think Kevin Hart starts, it stars in the film with... Um, uh, I've forgotten his name, <laughs> Will Farrell, um, and it's, it's called Get Hard. And apparently Will Farrell has to go to jail and survive. And as you can imagine, he has to basically become hyper-masculine in order to survive and protect himself. Because guess what? If you're in jail, you know, um, rape is an issue, but it's turned into a joke. That can't be funny, you know, like, but here we are, you know, so... I think ultimately what I really want to do is that we both wanted to talk about how women in um, black minorities in people of color can be sidelined when it comes to talking about issues of femininity and feminism. And if we're gonna do that, identifying the language could be you know, uh, a way of helping us do so. Um, and you've got an issue of feminism. So here we are. <laughs> Let's do something about this right now. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, I think that the 
I wanted to get to get what you were saying. So are you saying that because that specific um, type of comedy doesn't have a name, we find it hard to refer to it? Is that what you were acting? Is that the point you were making? That's quite important for me to understand. It's become it's become more um, of a thing now. Like there are um, articles and videos about it. I'm sure there's some literature um, that will be out there, and I'll probably find some and put it in the description box. So it's the future. I found some. It's in the description box. Check it out. Um, <laughs> but essentially, that there are ways of finding out how um, that example of toxic masculinity um, can obviously affect the way we treat each other you know like yeah I, I don't have to go further off into okay. that particular okay. tangent I don't think you need that so um well no no I find it very useful because um examples are always good we need examples so if that's an example of a situation where we don't have a name for it you've actually you've absolutely proved that to be true because we've had to go back and forth for five minutes to ascertain what we're actually talking about whereas if there was a word to describe it I would have been able to move on right um well I didn't label it toxic masculinity until now which was helpful as I said the the labeling of it isn't for me in my opinion the problem the problem is that if you don't have a name for it then there's going to be issues. So if anything, you're right, <laughs> you did go back and forth, but it's not because it didn't have a name, it's because I didn't actually give it its label uh, to begin with. But yeah, I, I do think that if we're gonna talk about our main topic today, um, that language as you cited in terms are very useful. Do you have any issues with the terminology of POC? Oh my God, you're moving on so quick from everything. I'm trying to dwell a little bit. Give me time. I need, I need to become comfortable and I need, I need to say something. I'd like to apologize because you've just proved me wrong and that's very good. I love being proved wrong. That's like almost my favorite thing in conversation. So therefore we needed that label toxic masculinity. If you'd said it at the beginning, I would have known exactly what you're talking about. So here I am sort of saying, we don't need labels, don't box me, you know, but then what would anything be if we didn't have it? So we would have much longer conversations, which means we'd probably be tired a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am very like, your, your humility is always very useful and very rare, um, not between us, but outside of our binary connections. So let's okay, move into the move subject. On. Okay, bye. Yes. Um, so yeah, let's face it. Like I am an investigator with this and you're someone who can um, attest to it. You've been in situations where talking about um, aspects of feminism um, has been something that you found an issue when it comes to other people um, who are white, female, who may not necessarily understand or want to, you know, give uh, time to that aspect. Do you want to tell us more about that? Sure. So um, you often hear, um, you know, a, a person who might say that they are a white liberal woman or a feminist and um, if they, they call themselves that, and they'll often sort of refer to the white male as the oppressor um, of the world. And I've heard that many times. And um, I think, okay, that's, that is interesting because um, in, in that struggle for power, uh, I've, I've also seen quite often that they, many of these people will also be speaking for other 
women who they think don't have a voice. And so um, it's, not, it's, it's not different really. That's, I think that's how oppression begins or at least it's somewhere along the timeline. It may not be the beginning, but it's definitely very early on um, because before you know it, you're, you're rendering an entire community or communities mute um, because you've already decided you know what's best for them. You know, so, um, so I think we have to be quite careful with that. So I found that in when I've been asked to contribute to, to dialogues on, on feminism, um, this comes up quite a lot. So uh, recently, the, one of the most important parts was um, things like uh, the, the violence, discussing violence against women and um, how, to, how to protect women in those situations. Quite often we have a thing where people will talk about um, Muslim women, you know, being particularly subject to misogyny. So it's, it falls into, I suppose, the, the intersection of um, Islamophobia and misogyny because you'll have the, the feminist, loudest voice of, of the feminist um, sort of saying that it's a domestic abuse situation where it's their own family that's really, you know, oppressing them and sort of maybe f not even notice, let's say, let's say they fail to notice the oppression that that, is, that woman is actually having outside of her home, which may well be worse, you know, I don't know. I, I'd need to get the statistics on that, which I don't have currently, but I don't know if, you, if that's enough to sort of set the foundation of this way of thinking. Yeah, sure. Um, just before we go on very quickly, because I didn't get an answer, but do you find POC as a term useful or do you find it derogatory? Just so I know how to carry on within this conversation with you on this subject. Okay, thank you for asking. I appreciate that. Yeah, I find it to be um, dehumanizing and very, very ugly. <laughs> okay, yeah. Other people have said this um, to me in messages where I've actually used that term, um, but there's no real consensus. Can I, because um, it's just, I feel it's quite valuable information. Why would it be dehumanizing for you? Okay, so it's not just for me, um, and it's not just me having an issue with being called a person of colour. Um, I wouldn't refer to a, a person that's lighter skinned than I am as a person of non-colour, which would have to be the case if I'm a person of colour. Um, and I think it'd be worse to be a person of non-colour. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> So in that regard, do I talk about the people who I see as um, relevant to this conversation as black women or women of the Latino community or South Asian women? Is there a way of grouping them or is that in itself an issue? Definitely that's an issue. <laughs> what do you want to say specifically? <laughs> okay, well then if I were to say that if you a if you're a non-white uh, woman talking about feminism, your ideals and problems are often not stressed when the loudest voice in that group, often white women, are talking about them. Is it possible to say non-white as a descriptor? Okay. Um, I hope so. <laughs> okay. So look, first and foremost. Um, I, I'm quite thick-skinned when it comes to language and people can say whatever they want to say. And as long as I understand them, <laughs> you know, I'll make the effort to understand what they're trying to say and I'll focus on that. Um, but like I said earlier, when I was speaking of the people that refer to themselves as white, female and liberal, 
um, that's if, if they refer to themselves as that. I don't have a name for them as a group because I'm sure they're all wonderful individuals. But um, but yes, I do understand that it's it's important to simplify language when we're trying to talk about things. But I think it's it's also possible to to become used to describing things as they ought to be and 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 not calling people outside of of their individuality, even if it means it takes longer, you know, verbally to 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 express ourselves i'd rather put that effort in sure okay fair enough um so for now i'll go of non-white when describing uh, the other or marginalized group there's so much you're laughing <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> um i think it is it is exactly that it's it's the you know when we're creating skin tone as a as a designation and creating ethnicity um, when it's been created in particular communities for for power play has is actually what creates the otherness you know and um so so i do often think that um you know like currently in this country what do we have um when you when we talk about minorities if we're specifically speaking of numbers you know what i mean as opposed to any other designation we're talking about minorities communities which is the case in regards to the actual population of the UK so for this how about for this particular discussion would you like to refer to them as that or do you think that's also dehumanizing I'm sorry can you repeat that what do you I'm mean sorry that was a crazy no it was just <laughs> it was quite intense <laughs> go for it so what I'm saying is that um if you have um uh, a population that is majority um, British origin, as in white, as they refer to themselves, and they refer to themselves as of British origin, and they've designated everybody else as minority. So we've got this, um, what is it called, black minority ethnic, is that right, BME? I'm missing mm -hmm. out a word. Oh, is it the and? Yeah. <laughs> black and minority ethnic community. So I know that there's talking about doing away with it right now, right? But yeah. Yeah, so people who believe that this was originally their land and they refer to themselves as the majority, everyone else is a minority because in numbers they are less, right? If that is really what we're talking about, the, the minority community population-wise, I'm okay with that. But okay. obviously if, it's, if minority has another meaning that I don't know, then I'm not okay. And that would be um, no, no, no. Um, you've um, fine-tuned this somewhat because often the issues that... Um, someone who is not part of that minority um, would be talking about obviously affecting the mainstream. Um, it, it's not necessarily along the lines of skin color, but about where they may have originally come from before living here, uh, being an immigrant, for example. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different um, subject matter that we'll probably investigate later there. So well done you, good times. <laughs> <laughs> But not really. It's um, pretty dire. So if um, for people who have, you know, never really come across this idea before in that there are different voices within like uh, feminist movement, they may want to have a bit more of a citation. Uh, for example, if um, women are going to be saying that, hey, we want to be paid as much as men, uh, a sub topic which may not be explored quite readily by the loudest voices in that group being women who are white 
had to say it sorry um they may not <laughs> they may not necessarily be um cognizant or or um uh responsible to note that um in their own particular field women of uh, a marginalized group will be paid less um so that is obviously just like uh, an example or citation as to why this is quite an important topic i'm thinking you'd agree yeah totally that's a that's a very brilliant point. So what we're talking about is when we have a spokesperson or spokes groups um, for for any marginalized community. That's a brilliant one. Um, are they taking the nuances of their group into consideration? Mm. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. And then even and then how do we legislate that as a group as well? How do we make sure all the voices are heard? It starts from the bottom, doesn't it? Like if these voices aren't talking to each other to have uh, uh, more of a collective um, understanding about the problems and then go forward towards trying to push for legislation. Um, if they're not having that conversation, then what can you expect to have um, as a result? And even more fundamentally obvious, as I was saying in another video, is that if you don't have um, progressive people in those positions of power to make that legislation happen, let alone in the media to elevate that conversation, um, you know, what, what can be done uh, truly to move from one uh, reality to a better reality, you know? Hmm. Okay, so I think it's um it's really about keeping the the focus. Like in any situation, I think we've really learned during the pandemic that um when we have too many voices, we do end up with um of course brain fog, like communal brain fog. And um so it's it's about deciding what are the most important um, things to focus on. So um, how I, because I work in sort of um, team building quite a lot and, um, and mediation. And one of the things that you get with, with mediation is that you have to find, a, you have to get a point of negotiation and, and decide, okay, there's a number of things that are non-negotiable for everybody. And you need to work out what those are. And that does mean a very, very, pointed conversation, a very um, intense and, um, and focused conversation where you can map out what are the non-negotiables. And when you've got that basic, I call it a right, when you've got a basic right being granted to each person that is part of that group, only then can you move on to start focusing on other things. So, so basically a streamlining and a focus on what really matters. Sure, sure. How um, uh, how difficult has it been for you to have this kind of conversation before, or at least um, let the audience know? Because you've um, inferred it being something that's been quite difficult before we started recording. I thought that would be worthy to talk about now. Yes, thank you. I think it's, again, it goes back to um, the effort that's required. You know, in in understanding anything, I think, um, you know, just the effort of thought to be a thinker <laughs> requires a lot of use of energy. And, um, you know, modern life has, um, has deliberately been designed now, I think, to distract us from what's important, you know, and um, 
the things that are important are usually very basic. So I think sometimes with the doing away of foundational um, issues, we will then end up focusing on things that don't matter so much and arguing about those things. So to have a conversation like that with, with a, a group of people or within a group setting is going to already be difficult because you're number one, you're deconstructing before and that, you know, analyzing and then you're rebuilding. So that just getting that foundation straight is always going to take a long time. And then in that time, people would have already left the dialogue. New people will have come who missed the beginning. They're going to be people that are going to deliberately be the voice of dissent just because. And then, you know, there's a lot of people that really don't care. They, they, just, they just want to, you know, they just want to, let me not speak for them. I don't know what they want, but I, I know that I come across people that, that really aren't that invested in this particular topic, but they happen to be present for whatever reason. <laughs> um, do you think it's because you mentioned um, a really interesting item, you're saying that the way that modern life is designed is not necessarily for, for thought and say critical analysis. Yeah. Um, if we think of like, say um, capitalism as an organism that is everywhere and it doesn't necessarily have the the things that it consume us as being um uh, it doesn't need us to think it just needs us to be able to keep on giving to it and so therefore if it's this new um new if it's this creature that's constantly doing that and it's something that we've only truly um been kind of slightly aware of but then suddenly become aware of it means you have to suddenly start thinking about how you're interacting with other people with a certain kind of consideration for example when you're in primary school secondary school and aspects of further education you didn't have to engage with the idea of um people who or female in female people in uh, minority groups having to um, negotiate around the wants of the mainstream counterparts, right? It's all particularly new. So therefore, how can you suddenly um, become A, aware of that knowledge and B, um, act upon it regularly? If um, the things in your normal life, in, in capitalism's wants and interests, don't inspire you to do that. You know, watching Fast and the Furious isn't necessarily going to inspire you to be critically um, analytical. I'm not saying that everyone watches that franchise, but that's one aspect of what people might deem as normal life. You know, that's that's um, that's offered to us. It's not like you're going to get a documentary on Plato anytime soon. That's going to be funded by Hollywood's. Uh, you know, they're not going to put two hundred and fifty million dollars uh, into that production. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's what I'm saying. Yes, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. So... Um, <laughs> there was a lot there. Feel free to pick any of it apart. No, there's nothing to pick apart, you know. It's just... Um, you have to understand that I'm coming from, from a place of uh, religion. So, you know, this is... What you're speaking of um, is, is a basic in religion. So we have, so we, to the point where we already know this, so that's why our everyday life is based in, is in a particular um, uh, narrative. 
So, for example, if you believe you're living in a situation where there is a, a war between good and evil, you don't need to question evil anymore because you've already understood it. So if you can see that um, from a religious perspective, mostly we're looking at religion not having a reason to be, it just is, right? So anything that falls away from what we see as a greater good for, that will elevate humanity exists just because, right? I don't know if that's a concept, that, is that okay? Do you understand me when I, when I say that? Uh, yeah, I mean, um... Maybe, and this might be other viewers thinking this as well, but I find it fascinating, truly fascinating that you have um, on the one hand an issue with having to be, in your own words, forced to being either like a feminist or a misogynist, um, which is an example of the binary, um, but yet the main tenet for you when you're talking about religion is the binary or between good and evil. Um, how, how, do, how do those things work together? Like we're going off topic a little bit, which is what you've always wanted, <laughs> but now we're going there officially. <laughs> yeah, that's a beautiful, beautiful question. Okay, so do you remember those scales, the old scales in, um, in the doctor's surgery where, you know, you step on it and the, the nurse is moving that thing around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do, I remember that. Um, so, Finding equilibrium is, it takes a skill. It takes a certain um, understanding. Like you have to know how to use that machine to know what the hell that person's doing, <laughs> right? So I've got this, this saying that I quite often, um, you know, I want to say I live by it, but I sometimes forget. So I have to be mindful of that. But um, that only God can balance the scales of justice. So that makes it a bit easier to deal with the injustices that happen every day to me or to people I care about, because I can then look at the situation and say, okay, look, I don't really know the full story because uh, only God knows what exactly is within the chest of that person. I don't know what's going on with them. Uh, they don't know what's going on with me, but I know that justice will be done in that scenario somewhere out there. And, you know, time again being a construct of just this particular realm. So sometimes it's easier to, to live and let live almost when you, when you have that in your, in your mindset. Um, so that's why I can pick my battles quite carefully, if, if you know what I mean. And then also apply empathy, which is really the key. You know, we, we talk about it a lot nowadays, which is great. It's part of a mainstream dialogue to, to apply empathy at um, as much as possible, if not at all times. So... Um, once you understand that, you know that, the, that one end is good and one end is evil. So there are loads of places in between that cause that will create that um, equilibrium. And it might be, you know, in one situation, there's 60% of this and there's, you know, 40% of that. And that is what has caused the equilibrium, you know, because of the nuance. And this is something, again, that also is talked about a lot in scripture you know, in all the scriptures I've come across that how good and evil as a, as a construct for testing people is very nuanced and there are varying shades of, of what we call greater goodness, you know, because in order for there to be a greater good, definitely a certain amount of evil has to, has to 
be there for contrast and for understanding. Otherwise, how would you even know what good is if it's not contrasted by evil, right? So these are, um, in a sense, the foundational structures. So if we now, to answer your question, if we look at um, feminism, so if I say, okay, I don't want a term like feminism existing because it means nothing um, to me. <laughs> so um, when, if, what would, what I would look at in um, where that sits in that same scale would be at once one end of the scale it would be um let's say manhood and the other end of the scale would be womanhood and i would immediately have to understand that there are varying shades in between right and once i know that and i can understand that then i don't need to judge anymore or fight for my place because i just belong somewhere in that and so does everybody else so then we look at individual injustice at that point does that make sense um yeah i guess so um as ever there's so much in there <laughs> i can't wait to watch this back and um think up more questions for our next part because i'm sure this isn't going to be the only part of um this series it's definitely a series um in regards to talking about this is there any aspect of um this particular topic that you feel needs to be um addressed um, in some way that hasn't been so already? Um, no, I think this is a very good introduction, seeing as you've just decided it's going to be a series. <laughs> so perhaps it'd be quite nice to sort of um, to leave it there and then invite um, people from some of the demographics that we've discussed today so that we don't end up speaking for them. How, how do you, yeah, should we do that? Sure. Um, I kind of want to explore this with you on camera because essentially the idea of exploring this subject with people who we don't obviously want to speak on behalf of, as long as we can get people in that would be comfortable talking about it, which I guess is like just um, it's a given. You have to do that. Um, but the, the aspect that I was kind of interested in was talking to people who... Um, to people who are your demographic without having those other people there because sometimes people can feel that they can't say certain things with the demographic in question um, having the opposites there present. What is your particular view on that? Yeah, that happens. Um, so quite often on the internet, we'll see people using labels and throwing them around a lot like, oh, you know, all Muslims are this, all Christians are that, all feminists are this and all the rest of it. Um, but then in real life, when we meet and we encounter each other in Tesco or, you know, at work, um, we tend to not do that quite so much. So, um, and the reason is that uh, we, we do care about each other and um, about ourselves because we don't want to get punched, you know, and stuff. So I think that if we, um, if we look at why we do that essentially and, and just focus on the part that, you know, we do care about each other and we don't want to offend each other and we also want to um be granted the same rights as you know what's what's it called the golden rule basically treat people as we would like to be treated so yeah, if, yeah. so if we know that that person has um the right to wear that or to pray there or to believe in this and you also want the right to all those things also um, essentially, that means that we have to have respect for for all people. Th th and so, there's a, sorry, does that answer your question? Yeah, pretty much. Oh, pretty okay. Much. 
Um, yeah, I, I can think of a few candidates who would be interested in this discussion. So we'll make that happen. Um, I think for now, as you said, it's a good place to end the introduction. Um, as per usual, what we do here on Rantbox TV is subject driven. And so therefore, it's not about getting to know the particular person that I'm speaking to for the first 10 to 15 minutes. But now we've reached that point where we should. For those who don't know who you are, Reshma, who are you when you are not talking to me on Rantbox TV about marginalized women having being sidelined in topics of feminism? <laughs> Excellent. Okay, yes, I, I am. <laughs> Thank you. I am Reshma. I'm an artist and I work for the Salam Project mostly in gang mediation and um, art therapy. Um, so I think that's it. Well, who are you, John? <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I'm a writer and director. If you want more information about what I do, there is a uh, link in the description box beneath this video, as there will be one for Reshma as well. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty much it for today <laughs> or, to, or this evening, depending on when you're watching this. If you're watching this in the early hours, you really should get some sleep. But I hope that you are getting something out of this. Have a wonderful Friday. And if you're watching this on YouTube, give us a like because it's a nice little physical um, encapsulation of your enjoying this video. And subscribe if you want to see more of this series, if not more topics. Um, that we will bring up, which may be of interest to you. Have a lovely day, evening, or early hours. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> Take Bye. care. Bye-bye. <laughs>